Welcome to Fernway Insights, where prominent leaders and influencers shaping the industrial and industrial tech sector discuss topics that are critical for executives, boards, and investors. Fernway Insights is brought to you by Fernway Group, a firm focused on working with industrial companies to make them unrivaled segment of one leaders. To learn more about Fernway Group, please visit our website at fernway.com. Hi everyone, uh, this is Akshay. I'm the Chief Transformation Officer at Tabico Corporation, a supplier of GSC to airports worldwide and a, on the operating team at the uh, Fernway Group. I would like to welcome everyone to another episode of Fernway Insights podcast. As we continue to talk about the theme of Disruption 2.0, I'd like to welcome our guest, Brian Reichs, who's currently the Executive Director and CEO of Metropolitan Airports Commission, which is basically managing Minneapolis and Paul's International Airport and six of its reliever airports. Brian here was elected to the role in May 2016, and he's been charged with overseeing the overall management and administration of the airports. Prior to this role, Brian served as the executive director and CEO of Gerald R. Ford International Airport, which is in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He set all-time records for passengers in 2014 and 2015. And in 2015, the Grand Rapids Airport was adjudged the number one airport in North America in its size and category. Great achievement there. Outside of his role, Brian also serves in the Airports Council International for North America. He's on the board of directors. He's also the chairman on ACI's Large Hub Airports Committee and represents ACI in North America on its world governing body and also a part of the American Association of Airports Executive Policy Review Committee. That's a whole lot of roles, Brian. You won several rewards for your work and you are a sought out industry speaker and thought partner. So it's our to our benefit that you're here and welcome to our podcast. My pleasure, Ashke. Great to great to be with you today. Look forward to the conversation. Let's get going. I think Brian wanted to first shift our attention to understanding the state of the airports industry today. I would like to start by talking a bit about the history of airports industry and how it's evolved and changed over your career. What were some of the changes worth noting and what drove them? That's a good question. I, I think, so I've been at this 36 years now, maybe 37, something like, like that. It's been a long time. It's gone quick. You know, I remember when first joining the airport, which was actually this airport, I was here for about four years. I remember airports used to be kind of viewed as a utility, meaning, you know, it was just something that existed and something that had to happen, obviously, for people to, to travel, obviously. But it really has evolved since then into much more of a, in my mind, a customer service industry. Those are the big changes, or at least the changes that I've tried to institute for my career. We compete for the passengers. We have to be collaborative with our business partners, you know, whether it's airlines or concessionaires. It's evolved more to a customer-centric business, a business from an airport perspective that is more about reflecting the sense of place in your airport, whether it's Minneapolis or my some of the prior airports I've been at, Grand Rapids, Duluth, Denver, really about reflecting part of the community. That's kind of how I've seen things evolve from the from the industry. I mean, even in my lifetime, I think good 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 for us passengers, but even in my lifetime, I've actually got to experience some of the uh, changes that you were talking about. Now, obviously, we're also aware 
of the recent disruptions to air travel and airports brought by the uh, COVID pandemic, right? Could you speak to what has occurred during this period and what the post-pandemic period is starting to look like? That's a good question. I tell people that, you know, throughout my career, I always thought, you know, you always have a setback, you know, whether it's every, you know, eight years or 10 years or whatever that time frame is. And I always thought 9-11 was going to be the big bump in, in my career, but we could not have ever envisioned the depth of the impact that that COVID has had. And so for us, I mean, dropping, you know, 95% below what our passenger volume was in the, you know, in April of 2020 was just something I would have never envisioned. So it's been a long road back. And, and I think what's interesting, Ash K, is when you look at some of the early projections about how long it's going to take to recover, I, I think a lot of them were pretty pretty close. I mean, there were some optimistic projections of two, maybe th- three years, but then there were four years kind of rings out pretty solid. And, and I think that's kind of where we're, where we're going to be. But the big challenges when we dropped into it w- was, in my opinion, uncertainty, not knowing how long it's going to last dealing with something new that we've never really dealt with. For us, it was how do we keep our employees and the customers that are still going to fly, albeit few, safe, right, during this time? And remember back, we didn't have vaccines then. We didn't, to start with, we didn't have masks. And so it was just a lot of new things coming at us at once, policies that we needed to change, we had to send some of our workforce home. We had to require those that had to be on the front lines to, to stay here. So depth of the, of the impacts were one, prolonged impact with much uncertainty, ebbs and flows. You know, you thought things were getting better and then you'd get a variant that would knock things back down. Not knowing really airlines were scheduling two weeks in advance. Prior to that, airlines would schedule six to nine to 12 months in advance. And so it was just crazy, crazy times. I think, you know, for for me, a a couple of focus points. Tension is a word that I would use within the organization because of all of the what our employees were experiencing both at work and at home. You know, sending people, some people home and requiring some people to work created a certain amount of tension. And disruption, you know, pretty good resurgence over the last year. So I think positively looking, things are looking up. I had an opportunity to interview Ed Bastian, the CEO of Delta Airlines, a few weeks ago at an ACI conference here in Minneapolis. He said they're going to be back 100% in 2023. So that's that's a good a good sign. What this pandemic has has I think furthered is investments in technology, investments in innovation, you know, and investments in in people moving forward. Labor continues to be a big disruptor across the industry. And we'll see how that pans out over the coming months and, and years. Just on the forward-looking point that you were just just alluding to, right? I think ebbs and flows given current market are not actually there are other ebbs and flows which might which would probably will take shape. But just wanted to understand, like forward looking from your point of view, what are some of the other major factors that will impact airports industry in the next few years and even decades, right? If you just crystal ball, gaze ahead, right? 
And also, what kind of investments are airports making in expansion and upgradation, and what changes should like a, a consumer like us expect? For us here in Minneapolis, we've spent a lot of time investing in innovation and technology, a focus on data. How can data help drive the decisions that that we are making? A couple of examples of that: we installed a, a Zovis system which monitors passenger uh, queuing and flow in our terminal in our terminal buildings. That was instrumental before COVID because what we were seeing is the demand was so high that we were seeing backups, you know, at our airline ticketing counters. We were seeing backups through security screening and how can we better manage that flow of of passengers? And that's becoming, uh, obviously, during COVID, some of that flow dropped pretty dramatically. But when you add on top of that, the space, the social distance spacing that was required, that added back back into that. So that's, I think data is a big part of that. We've also invested in data revolving around point of sale information for all of our concessions. We've actually required, I think we may have been the first airport to require concessions to report their point of sale for both auditing and also determining where passengers are flowing. At what times of day are they going to be congregated more in this area versus that area? That has helped us to drive reopening of concessions as we recovered from COVID and also will help us to determine maybe what products would be served best in certain areas of the facility. So those are a couple examples around data. I think infrastructure investment are a big is a big topic moving forward as well. I think the needs for airports are $114 billion over the next five to six years. You know, customer experience, a seamless passenger journey are all things that we're looking at to try to improve. The challenge around some of those things is it takes a lot of coordination and collaboration, you know, with our business partners, airlines, the TSA, Customs and Border Protection. And that's not an easy task because some of that information is sensitive. Airlines like to hold on to that information. If they want it to be their customer, you know, there's federal regulations around TSA and CBP sharing of data. So we've got we've got to we've got to get there. But there's so much focus, I think, around data and what the data can bring forward to move passengers as efficiently as possible into the future. So those are some of the things that we're really looking at. I mean, that's a that's a pretty wide array of stakeholders to work with, right? And I, if I throw one other topic in the mix, right, I think consumers and governments are also concerned about climate change, right? So could you also talk to how is the airports industry investing for a more sustainable future in the coming years and decades? Great question. And that's obviously a big topic moving forward. And I think it starts with setting ambitious goals and aspirational goals around what we're going to do around climate and sustainability. You know, we've We've adopted a 2030 program to reduce our carbon emissions by 80%. We've also adopted goals around waste and water usage and, and social gover- governance as, as well. So I think it starts with setting some pretty aspirational goals, which both with air, which airports have done and also airlines have done. You know, there's a lot of been, been a lot of focus around sustainable aviation fuels. And airlines are talking a lot about that. They're developing partnerships with manufacturers. The challenge is, I think, when we look at sustainability, is 
Can we be that aspirational? Will manufacturers and suppliers be able to keep up with the demand around that? One of the things that that we're looking at is, I mean, we've done a lot around sustainability, whether it's been solar, you know, electrification and other things. And, and we've got big plans on, in the future as well. The question for us is, will those sustainable forms of, you know, fuel, whether it's, I mean, solar is, is obvi- obviously there and we, we installed the largest solar project in the state of Minnesota a number of years ago on top of our uh, parking ramps. But will our electric companies, the company we have here is XL Energy, be able to keep up with sustainable, with those types of demands? And what will that do to our rates? I mean, I mean, we're looking at electrifying all of our heating and cooling infrastructure. But what we also know is that that will create three to four times more demand for electricity than we currently have operating those those plants. And can our the companies that supply that electricity keep up with that demand and not charge us an enormous rate so that it still works for us? So I think there's there's a lot there around sustainability. The other thing I'll mention around sustainability is modernizing airspace. And the work that's been done over the years on next gen, you know, performance-based navigation. We, we all want uh, performance-based navigation to create efficiencies in, in air travel, where aircraft are flying in, in the most direct routes possible, because that burns less fuel. It gets people to their destination quicker. So that's a big part of this formula moving forward. We've done something here in Minneapolis called optimized profile descents, where we worked with the FAA and Delta and Sun Country Airlines to test pilot descents into our airport that are low power, continuous low power descents. So you pull the power back and, you know, the old traditional ways you pull the power back and then you level, FAA says level off. So you add a little power and then you pull the power back, you descend, and then it's a step down procedure. The optimized profile descent is a continuous descent at low power. And it saves, I think we determined it saves airlines 15 or 20 gallons of fuel per approach, which accounts for cost savings and huge benefits from a carbon emission standpoint. So those are some of the things that we're working on that we're working on here. And it takes a lot of collaboration, as I mentioned earlier, but we're really focused on it as a as an airport. We just have to understand how quickly we can get there. And I don't think I don't think we have a good understanding of that quite yet. No, oh, that's actually incredibly helpful. Like some of this was very, very new and good Good to hear about. We covered infrastructure at the airport, which you're thinking about electrifying. We talked about the actual operations and flight paths. Any equipment or in changes that, that are being made on airside operations specifically? I think the focus now is around, again, electrification of vehicles, autonomous vehicles, that takes infrastructure, takes e-charging infrastructure. So we're, you know, we built a, a new uh, parking uh, structure that opened just in time for COVID, unfortunately. But I, I think we had 50 in that 5,000 space ramp, but we've come to realize that's that's nowhere close to where we need to be. Now we have rental car companies coming to us and saying, we need more EV charging stations. So that's that's been a big focus moving forward. We've adapted more EVs into you know, certain areas of our fleet, we still need technology still needs to catch up with 
snow removal vehicles, aircraft rescue and firefighting vehicle vehicles because of the regen time it, it takes. And when we're into those types of operations, especially in a cold climate, there's challenges. There's challenges there. But for us, it's it's really making sure that we're collaborating with our partners in our airlines to ensure that we've got the infrastructure to support that. And then implementing those types of solutions into our fleet, into our base, wherever and, and whenever possible. The other accelerant, if I might say, is, is legislation, right? Which can either accelerate this journey or, I mean, basically help you along. But wanted to understand from your point of view, what are some of the recent or upcoming legislation changes that you expect, right? That, that are potentially going to impact the industry and how's how are the airports either preparing or capitalizing on these behavioral changes? Well, FAA reauthorization is coming up. So that'll that'll be the big one. And I think there may be some opportunity for some regulatory reform ar- around whether it, it's in a, around instituting things that we need to we need to do. As I said, there's a huge backlog for airport infrastructure. Some of the things that came out through COVID with the federal relief and the focus on infrastructure has certainly helped. In our case, I think through that the Bill Act and and some of the additional items that plug more money into infrastructure, we're going to receive, I think, about $180 million of additional funding over, over five, five years. We also applied for some terminal funding in the new airport terminal project funding bucket. Now that's $5 billion over five years. 55% is eligible for large hub airports. But to give you an example, I think FAA received 650 applications for the first round, for that first billion dollars. And those 650 applications totaled $14 billion in, in requests. We, we got about 20 million of that. So we felt fortunate. But it, again, it's investing in things around sustainable efforts, you know, new loading bridges that have electrification, uh, LED lighting types of things. So I think you'll see more and more of that in the legislation that comes out in front of us. As far as sustainability, we, you know, again, there's been a lot of focus on that from this administration, and I expect that to continue. I think some of the other legislative changes that will be needed is when you, when the airlines look at their goals around sustainable aviation fuel, one of the challenges right now, again, is you don't have the manufacturers to really produce the volumes that are needed. The other issue is SAF is at least twice the cost of aviation fuel right now. And there's going to have to be some incentives and some subsidies, I believe, from the federal government in order for airlines to really take advantage of that and and meet their goals. So I I think those are a couple of the areas that I, I see regulation and legislation impacting the movement forward. So Brian, wanted to shift gears a bit, right? And kind of kind of dwell into your journey a bit more and talk about your journey till date, right? I think the first thing I wanted to, I mean, just just reflecting on the illustrious career that you have, I've seen you've led both large and mid-sized airports in the US, right? Could you talk to us about your experiences with both of them? What kind of opportunities, challenges are common? What do you think are unique? Would love to understand that. You know, it's an interesting question because I started my career off here at a hub airport, specialized uh, actually in, yeah, I was in the noise environment here, went to Denver to get involved with the building of the new Denver airport, 
it's not new anymore. It's what, 25 or so years old now. And then, but I wanted to be an airport manager. So I I actually cut my salary in half to go be the manager at Aberdeen, South Dakota, an airport that had two FBOs, had air service, I think, to Minneapolis and Denver from two different carriers and, you know, three or four rental companies. So it was a, it was a big transition going from Denver to there. And then my goal was to continue to, you know, grow my career, move to larger airports and, and just get a sense. At a smaller airport, you have to do everything. You, I mean, even, even help your maintenance guys move snow off the run, off the runway, but you're the, you're the planner, you're the developer, you're the person who answers complaints. You, I mean, you do it all, and it's it's a very challenging environment. But I think in that environment, it gives you a good sense of what you're faced with overall. And I I think in my case, really helped me determine or really be educated on the plethora of issues that you have to deal with as a as a airport CEO. And so that helped me. And now with our system of reliever airports or six reliever airports. I think that experience at smaller airports also helped me understand what issues our airports are faced with, whether it's here at MSP or with the smaller airports. So it's an interesting career. You know, would I do it over again? No, I think I would do it the same way because I've been able to meet great people at the six or seven airports I've been to, establish wonderful networks, learn a lot, and and actually be out there working in all different areas of of the airport. So it's been a it's been a good experience. Coming here to Minneapolis, you're more of the spokesman for the airport. You're the guiding you guide strategy. I find myself out speaking to groups and employees probably more than I ever have before. But that's a big part of the job to ensure that the visions that you have are evolving through the organization and that everyone's pointed in the same direction. And then I think just talking a bit more about the visions, right? I mean, during your career, could you just point to a few of the causes that you've always looked to champion and what kind of impact they've had on travelers throughout your reports? For for me, I think air service development has been top of mind in any size airport. And I've always wanted to take a very aggressive approach towards working with our carriers to ensure that whatever community I am in as the best possible air service as possible. The other thing as part of that is engagement, engaging both, you know, employees internally, but even more importantly, or at least at the same level of importance is engaging the community in what's going on at, at the airport. There's a lot of good stories and, you know, airports are unique environments and the general public doesn't get to spend a lot of time behind the scenes and, and may not know. So engagement with the business community, whether it's as, as part of developing air service, has been key for me and something that, that I've always been focused on. Developing partnerships, being collaborative are all areas that really I've been, been focused on to, to champion. And I think it's, it's worked pretty well. When I was in Grand Rapids, we or I in, initiated a capital investment project that involved private capital from businesses throughout the community to help us expand our terminal facilities. And it was very successful. It did, you know, brought the businesses into the airport. 
and really was positive and and there's just so much opportunity ar- around that. So I, it's for me, it's thinking outside the box, not doing the things that you know you do traditionally, and and just looking for projects that are interesting, that are fun, that are maybe a little bit different, that help you to a- achieve your goals. Thank you for sharing that. I mean, it just seems like you've single-handedly pushed for better air travel environment for all of us. But I think one of the things I wanted to sort of spend some more time in understanding your perspective was you talked about a lot of stakeholders, right? And I think one of the key stakeholders here is essentially the federal government, right? So, and, and you've been very successful at working with the federal government and supporting growth and development of the airports that you were overseeing. Right? Can you speak to just like, how did you drive this collaboration and also, not just with the federal government, but with the other key stakeholders as well, right? So what's what's your secret sauce in being able to bring all these stakeholders together? I don't think it's a secret at, at all. For me, it's about creating relationships. And you know whether you're working with the FAA or the CBP or Delta Airlines or Sun Country Airlines or concessionaires, it's about creating a relationship of trust that allows you to accomplish great things. And and so that's been my philosophy. Now, I will say this, part of that when working with the FAA, and I'll I'll, I'll point back to my experience running the Duluth Airport when we built a brand new terminal up there. And my goal was was to construct that terminal without any taxpayer involvement at all, which is difficult at a small airport. But the important thing there was to also develop political relationships to help you get what you needed to get done, to help develop some of those relationships at the federal level and to prioritize, help you to prioritize or get prioritization of some of the things that you were working on. My response, it's all about relationships. No matter who you're working with, you've got to develop a relationship that is trustworthy. And I think if you do that, and if you can justify the means behind what you're looking for, you can be successful in, in any environment. So I pride myself in, in being open and upfront, whether it's with my own employees or our business partners. And I think that's I think that's been the key for me. So over the course of your career, you've actually seen massive investments and in, in, into infrastructure. And you've seen that across a couple of different administrations. I have a question, a broad question around do you believe the US administration is going to be fully committed to investing in this infrastructure in the long run? Or is this more of here and now? I would say, I think so. I would say yes. The challenge at the federal level is there's so many different needs, right? You know, they talk about trillions of dollars and infrastructure is always, I I think, high on the list because it's something that every individual deals with you know every citizen drives on the roads or takes you know the transportation system whether it's a bus or whether it's light light rail whether it's riding a bike somewhere right or walking on a sidewalk that's all about infrastructure uh, flying out of an airport and so you know when infrastructure fails there's a lot of attention on that and we pride, I think we pride ourselves in the U.S. of really maintaining a solid system of, of infrastructure to support the needs. And so it's not as much as we'd like it to be, 
but you know, there's still a lot of attention on it and a lot of investment in it. So the other thing is politically, it creates jobs, right? Which all politicians like to see. And so it creates really good paying jobs. And, you know, if there's a way to help revive the economy, pump more dollars into infrastructure. You know, the Dems and the and the Republicans have different ways of or different philosophies of thinking about how it should be funded. And, you know, I think what we always try to get to is a balance of those viewpoints and to to ensure that they're making the right investments and that we're competing well. And I, I think we do compete pretty well. And I, I think that's been the funding that has come out of some of the some of the relief packages that we've that we've seen. I do question how much, you know, they've sent a lot out and what are the long-term impacts. And I think we're seeing some of those impacts right now. I feel there's there's always been attention on it. And I think there continue, there will continue to be. Got it. And then outside of the work arena, what other aviation related efforts are you currently focused on or involved in? One thing that's really important to our industry is developing young talent and doing what we can to continue to ensure that we're developing a pipeline. That's obviously in the in the industry, but that's important to me. We've got some great events at our reliever airports where we really promote that aspect and try to get young professionals in, involved in in that arena and that will be important important moving moving forward. But I'll be honest with you Ashkate, I spend so much time and passion involved in aviation. When I'm out of the office, I try to get away from it. At, at times, that's part of my, you know, recuperation or therapy. Is I'm an outdoors person. I like to get away. We have a cabin on an island, in the, you know, way up on the Minnesota Canadian border, and that's where I go to think, you know, get outside of aviation and just recuperate a little bit. That's how I would answer that question. <laughs> and I'm, I'm assuming you're not taking a flight to that island. <laughs> well. I don't have a float plane yet, but that would be that that certainly is on my bucket list is to get a float plane so I can just fly up there and not have to deal with traffic, you know, driving up there on weekends. Oh, that's perfect. I, I really hope you get that float plane soon. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Thank you for sharing from your extensive background, right? I think, like I mentioned earlier, right, we at uh, Fernway and Dabico share your belief in the, uh, the, the extensive transformations that are set to occur in this industry, right? We've actually made very significant investments in our own part to sort of beef up our product portfolio, but also the supply chain to serve the airport industry better. What I wanted to do is get your perspective on like how are airports addressing the current supply chain concerns and how have they impacted your views on sustainability and the investments in this area? This is a serious concern of, of ours. My chief information officer told me a couple of weeks ago that it's taking 18 months to obtain laptops, you know, for our office environment. I think that gives you a sense of we are in the midst of a a project to upgrade some of our electrical infrastructure. And it's been an ongoing project for many years. But our engineers are telling me it's taking up to two years to get some of the products that we need to complete those those projects. So. How are we? So it's definitely a serious issue. I think it it needs more federal attention in in order to resolve the current state of affairs. But the only way that we're dealing with it right now is we are trying to plan ahead and order out as far as we possibly can. 
And it is stressing our budgets this year for things that we would have waited to you know, design and spec and, and purchase next year. But that's how we're dealing with it. We're trying to look out and say and identify items that may have longer lead times and get in the queue as quickly as possible. The challenge is everybody's probably doing that, right? And that's just going to exasperate things. So I don't have a good solution other than you know planning ahead and trying to really identify those items that may be more impacted than others. Got it. I, I can speak to the laptop issue myself, right? It took me, I changed jobs sometime back and it took me close to like four months to get something which would generally be on stock and to go pick it up, right? So these concerns are real, right? Unfortunate, but I think we'll have to live through these times. I think the other piece that we as vendors or or, or partners with, with the airports are, I mean, we are committing ourselves to accelerating the journey towards sustainable, to a more sustainable future. Right? We've looked at the next, we are developing the next gen of electrical GPUs. We are focusing on in-ground fueling systems to sort of enhance safety and, and, and reliability. We're looking at central air conditioning plants, which are more sustainable, climate-friendly, offer superior safety, and, and essentially a higher ROI to our customers. Could you also speak to how your airport and other airports are investing in these technologies to achieve a better, to basically achieve the sustainability goals? And, and what else can they focus on? I think we first installed electric ground power units back in 2001 when we reconstructed Terminal 2 at our facility. So it was something that we adapted to early on. And in fact, we're in the process now of upgrading that infrastructure. And and that will continue to to your point to to try to obtain equipment that is even more efficient than, than the previous or the earlier models. We're also working right now on replacing some of our ground fueling infrastructure around one of our major concourses, Concourse G, with the latest technology and available equipment. So we're focused on those areas as, as well. I think one thing that I was able to take advantage of when I was at another airport in Duluth, when we built a new terminal, was the Voluntary Airport Low Emissions Program, or VAIL, as they termed it. That was a great initiative that allowed it. And when I was looking for money, in any possible area for that terminal up there, this is one of them that I found. And we were very successful in electrifying equipment and then also installing a geothermal system to support the heating and cooling of that of that facility. So, you know, your investments in invest in technology and innovation are, I think, right on spot for airports in this regard. Thank you. It's good to hear that we're, in the, we're on the right path here. Yeah. And just, just as a broader question, what can companies like us do even better to address your and your, your consumer supply chain needs and your goals? I think it's all about understanding the issues, right? And I think I think this conversation is is part of that, ensuring that you know what your customers are dealing with and and how you can best collaborate with potential customers to to create solutions and you know outside the box solutions and new innovative technologies. So I think it's just continuing the the discussion and ensuring that you're as educated as you possibly can be as a designer or as a supplier of products that airports rely upon. Just broadly in closing, given the uncertainty of what the post-pandemic aviation industry looks like, right? Just what perspectives would you like to leave our listeners with? 
I think there's, you know, we're, we're, we've all come through a very challenging environment. And when you go through a challenging time, it's amazing what comes out of that as far as new perspectives and new opportunities and innovation and technology. And I think we're there now. I think the industry is resurging now. Hopefully that will continue and we'll have another eight or 10 years of really strong growth that will allow us to continue to apply and invest in new technologies and innovations that will further us uh, you know, beyond and prepare us for, for the future beyond 10 years. So I think it's an exciting time and I think we should grasp a hold of what we've learned and apply that to what we can move to the future. So that's what I would leave you with. That's, that's my perspective moving forward. Well, Brian, it's always good to end on a positive note. And I want to take the opportunity to thank you. I have certainly benefited. I know my listeners as well would benefit from the wealth of experience and the, the experience that you bring. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule for us. And I wish you the best for the coming week and then for the, uh, the aircraft that you need to buy. Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks, Ash K. Good to talk to you as always. All right. Pleasure, Dr. Take care. Thanks for listening to Fernway Insights. Please visit Fernway.com for more podcasts, publications, and events on developments shaping the industrial and industrial tech sector.